1: It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, do sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let the good times in. Tomorrow's gonna be better than today.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. This segment is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended, and also Birdie Ball. Birdie Ball was voted the best teaching aid for golfers in the 21st century. That's birdieball.com. You can check them out online there. Uh, Today's guest, a four-time Emmy winner, 10-time nominee, has been behind the microphone on radio and TV for over 30 years. I'm not so sure that that's a benchmark we put out there very often, but it's true. Uh, During his tenure at Golf Channel and NBC Sports Group, he started with them back in 2010. He's called Live Golf in seven countries, five different men's and women's professional tours. And uh, in addition to his studio work with Golf Central... Uh, he also would call the occasional basketball game for NBCSN and he added the PGA tour live streaming coverage this year uh, on ESPN to his schedule. We'd like to welcome Witt Watson. Hey, Witt, how are you?
2: I'm uh, great. Thank you. Yeah. I've been advised maybe I should leave that 30 year benchmark off of the resume and <laughs> not tell people exactly how old I am, but uh, it's true. I can't help it. It's yeah. still true.
0: <laughs> yeah. it It's a, uh, You know, for for those who trudge through and make it to those benchmarks, it's a it's a real sign of uh, we made it. Uh, Like you said, though, to other people, it's like, God, you guys are old.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I look at my kids now and um, my daughter is the same age that I was when I started working in radio. I started at a college radio station and she's the same age now. And I think. Man, was I ever that young? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember ever looking like that or feeling like that, but it's, uh, it's absolutely true. I've been doing this, you know, well, well over half of my life.
0: Yeah. And I buy one of these things. Yeah. I did the uh, same thing. I started on a college radio station when I was going to school in LA. Uh, had an interest in it. My next door neighbor had a show there. He took me down there a couple times. And before you know it, I was doing the morning drive. So, yeah, it's,
2: it's yeah, great. same. They start you off. i I was at uh, WVBR in Ithaca, New York, which is an independent uh, FM station that's owned by a group of Cornell students. Uh-huh. And you have to be a student to be, you know, on the board there. and and uh, same thing, followed a friend into an open house January of my freshman year. And by the time I graduated, I was the sports director. I was doing mornings. I was doing evenings. I was doing weekends. I was hosting a talk show. I mean, I was, you know, it's, it's like I never left. Basically, I walked in and never left. Yeah. And I'm, here I am at 51. I'm still doing the same thing. So Still
0: getting it knocked out of the park, buddy.
2: That's exactly right.
0: So uh, give us a little of your uh, history prior to coming to Golf Channel. I know you, you had several different uh, things that you did. You were calling play-by-play for basketball and some other things. Uh, what was the progression to get to Golf Channel?
2: I started, uh, as I said, in college radio at Cornell University, and my first job out of out of college was an unpaid internship with the Orlando Magic basketball team. That's my hometown team. I grew up here, still live here. And um, that internship turned into a full-time job behind the scenes as a producer and writer, mm-hmm. um, as well as doing some radio for them on the side. Uh, but that allowed me to eventually build a, a resume tape that I could start sending around to places. And I went from Orlando to ESPN. When ESPN News first launched, they were looking for young, cheap talent. And I was both young and cheap. And uh, I sent a tape up there and I had a friend that worked there from school and he kind of helped me navigate the hallways a little bit. And so that was a pretty big jump. I was 25 years old when they hired me and I was there for seven years. Uh, We moved back to Florida to work for the Fox Regional sports networks that at the time were based in Orlando. Um, that was another seven years. And then essentially went across the street in Orlando. Golf channel at the time was still located here. Sure. Um, and, and again, it was all, you know, it's it's having friends and former colleagues who maybe have joined and they mentioned, hey, this thing's coming up, or you just go knock on the door and say, can you point me in the right direction who to talk to? And the golf channel connection, I had a lot of friends that worked there because I had been in Orlando most of my life. And um, Initially, we talked about me doing some freelance work for them, and then eventually that became a full-time job. So, um, yeah, one little step at a time. And that was 12 years ago, and that's that's the longest I've worked anywhere. Uh, the longest I've been in one place was yeah. uh, 12 years with Golf Channel.
0: That's one of the things that I don't think people realize is that in, in this world that we live in, you can get bounced around a little Mm -hmm. bit like you say you work for somebody for 10 years and then for whatever reason it doesn't matter you end up going somewhere else part of it is like starting over but then part of it is you didn't move on uh without the the background and the credentials and stuff to do it when you were at espn did was that when i don't know if he was still there keith hirschland was he
2: Uh, I don't know if he was there when I was there, but I knew Keith through Golf Channel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Keith was one of the Golf Channel originals. In fact, I think he may have produced or directed the first tournament they ever televised. He did. Um, But yeah, I I met Keith through Golf Channel and a very good producer who counts a lot of talent as um, sort of like disciples is the wrong word. But he, he helped train a lot of people who are still on the air at Golf Channel, a lot of ex-players who became analysts and walking announcers give Keith a lot of credit for basically teaching them the ropes. It's not the easiest thing to do to hang up your clubs and walk in there and start broadcasting golf. It's kind of a specialized gig. Um, but yeah, he's got a great reputation for developing talent. I remember after
0: college and my first professional job and they were like, I was nervous, you know, just like anybody would be, and when that red light goes on and they say, you've got to fill four minutes for us and you have no idea what the hell you're going to say, it, it, uh, it wakes you up really quickly.
2: It does. Um, and it's all about getting the reps, you know, at some point you have to be thrown into that position where you have to, mm-hmm. you have to do it. And, and people ask me all the time, do you get nervous? And this is going to sound maybe a little odd, but I really don't because to me, failure is not an option. I don't think about what could go wrong. It's just when the red light goes on, you have to go. It's the six o'clock news starts at six o'clock and whether you're ready or not. So I kind of, um, I I probably over-prepare and and that allows me to feel like, okay, I'm ready for anything. I I put in all the work when we're actually on the air. This is now the easy part because I've done all the hard work before we even got here. Um, but it definitely takes practice. It's it, like I said, you can't just throw somebody in there and expect them to be able to cover five minutes off the top of their head.
0: I remember the first time I tried to read a teleprompter I'd had no yeah. train. I'd had no training in it. Okay. And they, but because I'd done live radio and stuff for so long with, they said, oh, well, there's the prompter and your stuff's on there. You'll, see. And I was like, I couldn't talk fast enough for a radio guy. I couldn't talk fast enough because it right. wasn't you know, was coming in and then trying to go back out. and Not that people want to hear that about me, but I just remember that that was kind of an aha moment for me to uh, step up my homework.
2: Well, it's funny too. The the first couple of times I ever went to the NBC sports group headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, which is where golf channel and golf central is now produced. They obviously have their way of doing things right. And and their, their system, their habit is for the talent to rely almost exclusively on the teleprompter. And there's somebody else who's running it. And that person has to kind of learn your cadence, learn your speed, and as you say, they have to scroll it at the proper pace. Um, and, and it was obvious in all of my training, I had always learned when you write your scripts, and we do write everything out on a studio show, not sure. in a live tournament, but in studio shows, you write your scripts ahead of time. I keep a hard copy of it on in a pile on my desk not because I don't trust the guy running the prompter. I just don't trust the prompter. Right. <laughs> I don't trust right. the equipment, you know, to be perfect every single day. And so I always have a hard copy of it. And I kind of felt like I had to go explain to the prompter operator, hey, please don't be offended. This is just the way I learned how to do it. You know, I I always have hard copies in front of me um, because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's like anything else. It, it just takes some reps. It takes uh, some experience to learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you.
0: You've got those... Uh as you see folks when there'll be a pregnant pause in somebody sitting behind the desk because the prompter stopped or something or they're stepping on somebody else's lines or whatever it is and you see that a lot especially in local news but it does it does happen and uh it's not the most comfortable feeling you know i i guess i could say um we're going to take a break and Witt and I will be back. Uh, if you didn't catch this, we're talking with Whit Watson today from the Golf Channel. He's got some great stories and a lot of history. And we're going to dig into that starting when we get back right here on Grilling at the Green. Please stay with us. Hi, everybody. It's JT. And this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to grilling at the green. I'm JT. If you'd like to email us, it's really easy uh, info at grilling at the green.net. And of course we're on Facebook and Twitter and Inst- there's just so many, you know, I actually ended up hiring a teenager to run our social media here for the shows because that's what they do. And I think I'm doing really good to like click on your deal at LinkedIn and post something on Twitter. I think that's where I think I'm really good. So it, it doesn't get, Here. what, uh, in, in all the things you've covered, it was, was golf something that you really wanted to do? I mean, were were you engaged in golf prior to coming to work for the golf channel?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Orlando, so we play year round and I was an avid player and still am an avid player. And uh, when golf channel first got off the ground, in 1994-ish, they didn't have a studio, didn't have an office. They were renting office space in a building close to Universal Studios. And I actually interviewed for a job out there uh, as an assistant to the producer. It was kind of a clerical position. And it seemed like it was office bound. And I thought about it and sort of said, well, I I really want to pursue an an on-camera, an on-air career. I'm not sure this is the direction I want to go. So I'm going to keep pushing in in a different direction. But I I had point of that story is that was the year after I graduated from college. I had my eye on golf channel from day one, once we heard it was going to happen and it was going to happen in Orlando. um, Yeah. I was very interested. And and as an avid player, you know, I kept up with them and their progress. And then, uh, you know, many years later, almost 20 years later, had the opportunity to join. Um, But yeah, I, I'd I'd always had a keen interest in golf. Uh, My dad and I still play together. Uh, My son plays, so it was um, it was something that I had my eye on for a long time. So who's better,
0: like you or Damon Hack, or does Brandel still pick up a club
2: once in a while and whip you know, on That's you guys? a great question because there are some – I've been asked that many times, like if we had a staff tournament, who would win, and I don't know the answer to that. I think you have to take the X players out of the equation, right? That's mm-hmm. not fair. I mean, Brandel – was trying to play the Champions Tour as recently as last year. Right. And I know that Justin Leonard is going to go back to the Champions Tour or is going to go to the Champions Tour next year. So um, Damon's a pretty good player. Um, I've heard that Steve Sands is not terribly great. I've never played with him. Uh, I just spent two days with Todd Lewis at a member guest at his club here in Orlando. He's a good player. Uh, you don't have to play golf to be a golf channel announcer, but it certainly helps because um you're you're in the environment 24 7 when you're on the road and, and it also kind of helps to understand you know the lingo and the mentality of the players you're covering sure. uh, but you know believe it or not there are a couple that uh that, that don't play a whole lot of golf as hard as that is to believe such a niche sport and a niche channel right but there are one or two that don't really play
0: that's interesting that's interesting because yeah. i would, i would think that Besides reading your resume and all that, they'd take you out and make you play nine holes behind the studio there just to see if you could cut it.
2: Aaron Oberholzer tells a funny story about that. His job interview at Golf Channel was with me on a golf course at Orange County National, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, myself and one of the executive editors, uh, and I forgot who the fourth was. I got a phone call from Jeff Russell, is his name, who was one of our executive editors, saying. We're thinking about hiring this guy, Aaron Oberholzer, to come be an analyst for us. I want to take him out and and play golf. And I want you to come with me. And it was like basically a walking interview. Like we want to see how this guy handles himself on the golf course. Is he chatty? Is he personable, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And um, we got to the last hole. I forgot it was Panther Lake or Crooked Cat. I think it was Panther Lake. And he was, Aaron, was challenging the course record. The course record, I believe, was a 63. It had been set when Q School was still held at Orange County National in Orlando, and we knew he was close. Uh, a birdie, let's see, he needed an eagle or a birdie would either break it or tie it, and a par, he'd be one off. It's a par five. He was left of the green in two. He couldn't get up and down for the birdie, so Uh-oh. he ended up one one over the course record. The first time I ever met him, first time we ever played golf together. Um, and coincidentally, he's been at golf channel ever since, so I guess I'm a good luck charm or something, but yeah, <laughs> that was his, uh, that was his introduction to golf channel. Well, a uh,
0: little trial by fire, so to speak, Right, never, never hurt right. anybody, you know, like that. What's one of the things you look forward to, uh, when you go to work every day, or I don't know how many days in a row you work, but when you get up and you put on the coat and tie and you head out the door, what do you look forward to?
2: When it's a tournament setting, I really look forward to going out and seeing the golf course and just kind of getting a feel for not just things as mundane as hole locations and the wind direction, but just kind of getting an overall sense of how the course is set up, what kind of energy is there on the golf course, how many people are we going to have, what's the weather going to be like. Sure, uh, you know, taking that little walk before we go on the air uh, on the road is always really important. Um, and when I go into the studio, I just I I love the process of making television. I'm kind of a TV nerd. So I, I really enjoy, you know, talking to the associate producers and the production assistants and the director and the producer, you know, generating some ideas about what about this for a graphic? Or what about, you know, trying to get this guy for an interview? What about going this direction on the highlight? Um, I really love how the sausage is made and not a lot of on-air people do. Not, right. not there's, there's some of us that never know, that have never set foot inside a truck before. Um, I love that side of it. So that, that part of it is kind of what gets me excited going in on a studio day.
0: I always like it when they come in and they say, we got this great clip, you know, and it's 15 seconds of footage or audio or whatever it is. And it, you go, man, that's really good, you know, and you can work it into the show. That always makes me kind of like smile. You know, yeah. it, it, it's really is there a part um, and we'll get to more of these direct questions like this a little later in the show. But is there a part that you ever dread to
2: do? Um, I'm not real good with early wake up calls for early flights. That's not my forte. Uh, luckily, I don't really <laughs> I don't have to do that very often. You know, typically, um, if if it's possible to get home on a Sunday night after a tournament, you will. But nine times out of ten. 99 times out of 100, you're going to be flying out Monday morning. And there's differing schools of thought uh, amongst the veterans as to how to do that. And a lot of guys like the first flight out. A lot of people want to just get out of there as fast as they can Monday morning. I hate getting up in the morning, so I may push that flight back a little bit. That's something I kind of dread is those early wake-up calls. But um, no, nothing nothing I really dread. The the travel, I'm in a different situation now because I'm an independent contractor, but when I was full-time, the travel can get excessive you know if you're doing 20 to 25 weeks a year on the road um and i love to travel but it can burn you out yeah. and and uh, so this you know this period actually now where we have a little bit of quiet time off the road is is welcome because it yeah. can it can grind on you as i'm sure you you well know
0: oh yeah yeah um <clears throat> excuse me we're going to be back with wit watson here um i got a frog in my throat excuse me we're going to be back Back with Whit Watson here from the Golf Channel on Grilling at the Green. Uh, You're going to have some fun with us here in a little bit, so please stay with us. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. (laughs) Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We'd like to thank again the wonderful folks over at Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. Um, you say, why is a beef company sponsoring a golf show? Well, we all got to eat for one thing, and this is some of the best beef you'll ever taste. You can go to their website, PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. They have a store locator there. If you can find it, they also ship out... Uh, directly to you on some products also we'd like to thank john breaker and his family over at birdie ball in colorado birdie ball uh i actually use them in the backyard because i live where the winters are wet and gray and sometimes you can't get on the course so i practice off my deck with the birdie balls we've got uh whit watson with us from golf channel but first we're going to get our golf tip of the week from mr bruce Furman.
1: Hi, this is Bruce Furman, I'm the Director of Instruction out at Langdon Farms, and today's tip, I'm going to talk a little bit on how to start your backswing. Uh, A lot of people ask me that, and there's different ways of doing it, but when you study swings, and I have a computer program, and I have lots of tour pro swings that I've studied over the years, and a lot of them I, I film myself, believe it or not, down at different tournaments, and when you look at it and you really study it closely, you'll see that most Tour pros actually have a subtle move off the ball, meaning if you're right-handed, you're moving to the right. And believe it or not, when you look at it, you know, with a computer program, you'll see that they actually start that move a lot of times before they even move the club. So they, they move the club with that subtle move to the right, and then the coil, the turn begins as they move to the right, and that left shoulder then will go under their chin, behind the ball. Their back will be to the target. They'll, they'll put weight into their right leg, 75 or so. That right hip will go back, and they'll, they'll load up that right leg. Their left knee should go out toward the ball. So when you start your swing, that little subtle move to the right, and then feel that coil into your back leg, that'll help you get the club started in a, in a tour pro uh, way, and, and you'll play much better rather than just keeping your your body still and pulling the club back like a lot of people do. That's not the best way to do it. So I hope that helps you.
0: Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. You can find out more about Bruce's program down at Langdon Farms. Just go to LangdonFarms.com, check on the instruction, scroll down. You'll see him there and uh, he can help you out. We've got uh, Whit Watson with us from Golf Channel. What do you think your most I don't know. I, I guess you could use any adjective you wanted to. Best, greatest, most fun uh, interview was in your career at Golf Channel.
2: Oh wow! Um, it actually was not a Golf Channel interview. It was I for about a decade. I freelanced at the Masters every year for Westwood One Radio, mm-hmm. and one of my jobs, the most important job of the entire week, was to get an interview with the winner at the end of the week, and it was a highly choreographed ballet between CBS and, and ESPN and Golf Channel and everybody else who wanted to have an interview with the winner and then us at the radio, on the radio side, usually having to fight to get noticed and to, you know make yeah. sure that they remember to bring us the player because this is part of the contract. Westwood won, gets the winner at some point. And so my job is to be uh, equal parts scout and navigator and you know bloodhound and make sure that I track down the winner Sunday evening and get the interview. Well, the year that Tiger won it, most recently, 2019, I believe, Yeah, the place went nuts. Uh, You've seen the video, and it it was the, the most electric atmosphere. I'm getting chills thinking about it. The most electric atmosphere I've ever seen at a golf course because Tiger had just won another green jacket, to the point where the people that were working inside the press building, the people who were serving the food and sweeping the floors, came out onto a balcony to watch him walk back from the golf course to the press building, and they were applauding. People in chef's hats, what they're applauding him at this incredible feat. I've got to get him in, interviewed at some point. So I catch um, his agent, Mark Steinberg. I catch his eye, kind of wave the microphone. And he goes, OK, yeah, we know we go. We, get, we got you. And he's going through the press center and he's with his girlfriend and his kids are there. And they're, you know, and, and just everybody is just it's, it's a madhouse. And they start to walk out of the press building down a side hallway, and I'm literally walking after them. And it was either uh, Mark or, or his lawyer who waved me over to Tiger. And so I, I held the microphone, and Tiger and I walked together down a hallway out the front door of the press center with crowds cheering over our heads, all the way out to a van that was waiting for him to take him to the airport to get on his private plane to fly back to Florida. And it was the most exciting, the most fun the most everything interview that I've ever done in golf because he was, he was just a different guy that, that win at the age of 40, whatever he was when he did it with his two kids present, he was a different player then than he had been as a younger guy. And he was thoughtful and he was aware exactly of how momentous this occasion was. He was very self-aware of the moment and acknowledging people who were applauding him. And recognizing that, yeah, this is, I I just did a thing. I mean, this is quite a thing that I just did, you know. And and he was, um, he's always been very kind to me. We're not close. I'm not going to lie and say we we play racquetball on Thursdays or anything like that. But he's always been very gracious with his time when I have had to talk to him. And this was just a, it was a very warm and thoughtful interview. And in the midst of chaos, in the midst of all these people around us. And they're literally, you know, pushing us down the hallway to get him to his car, to get him Uh, Back to his plane. I think I have that one up on my website. I'm pretty sure I have that clip, that interview posted at witwatson.com. There's a whole series of Westwood One interviews I did over the years. And by far, that was my favorite, by far. Oh, oh, I bet it was. It had to be, I mean, 3,000 miles away
0: when I was watching it on TV. I stood up. Mm-hmm. When, when, at the end, you know, when the putt finally dropped, and and you know, because he had a couple of strokes to spare and all that, and his kid gave him a hard time for how come you didn't make the birdie or whatever it was. And but I actually stood up because, regardless of what people think about Tiger, good, bad, or indifferent, he accomplished something that only a handful of people in various sports could achieve over time and, and battling with injuries and of course, personal stuff and kind of stay away from that. But, you know, I just thought it was such a momentous thing. And then, you know, you're verifying that with me here, but
2: yeah, it was, I mean, there have been other, yeah, I I was very lucky to have the run that I had being able to see these champions. I got to see bubble win twice and, and see him get emotional. And um, you know, when Sergio won, and there was that great camera angle of his wife, Angela, who used to work for Golf Channel, and, and she and I were pretty friendly, of her uh, basically dropping to her knees, you know, both of them kind of doing the same the right. same motion at the same time because it had been such a long time for Sergio. He'd been so close at so many majors. And all of those have merit, and all of those are special stories. But, you know, Tiger is Tiger. I mean, the only thing, the the, the equivalent from what I've been told by people who were there was when nicholas won it in 86 that's right. the closest anybody could come to what it felt like to be there when tiger won it in 2019 it was just uh, it was history and, and it was it was um pretty remarkable i would imagine i wasn't at the pga championship when phil won it i would guess that was pretty fun too you know but but it is it, this is augusta national and tiger maybe maybe those two are, are kind of equivalent now that i think about it but yeah it was fantastic
0: Interesting that you say that, because I'm actually reading Bob Herring's book on the Tiger Phil thing. I I just got it last week, so I'm not very far into it. But the dynamics, the differences between those two, you know, because Bob takes it from when they were just kids and how their paths kind of sometimes bounced off each other. And sometimes they crisscrossed, but they were very much on their own mission. If yes. you will. they had their own line of direction and if they crossed grade, if not, of course, later on in life, we all know how that, that rivalry been, I think, turned into a bit of a friendship for a while. I'm not sure how it is right now, but um, it's quite interesting. The, the dynamic between the two and your analogy there, I think is spot on. Um, out of all the pros you interviewed, uh, I know that was a special moment by Tiger, but who's your favorite? I mean, there's probably somebody being in your chair at the Golf Channel you've gotten to hang with a little bit, besides the guys that are the analysts, you know. Right. But is, is there a tour player, whether it's LPGA or PGA Tour, that you have a real affinity for?
2: You know, there were a couple of people that I got to know either through mutual acquaintances or just. Maybe like following each other on social media, discovering we had the same sense of humor. Like, I got to know Brad Fritch pretty well, of all mm-hmm. people, through social media. We followed each other on Twitter and he thought I was funny and I thought he was funny. And then we ended up, you know, seeing each other in an airport somewhere and kind of became friendly. And, um, you know, he's been on and off the PGA tour over the last couple of years. Rob Oppenheim, who lives in Orlando, um, his best friend is a golf channel uh, employee and executive, as a matter of fact. So I got to meet Rob. A long time ago um, and he practices it of course you know near us and um there's actually two uh alumni of my high school who really? are or were on the pga tour hank Biota and sam saunders uh we're
0: going to take a break we're going to be back with whit watson from golf channel uh right after this please stay with us hi everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green uh, here on Golf News Network, on iHeart, on uh, Portland radio stations in in Texas and in Oklahoma. And uh, I can prattle on about that but it's not as important as our guest today witt watson coming up through the ranks when you got an assignment that was like i gotta go talk to michael jordan well you know kind of like tigerish if you will but you know if you've never talked to the guy didn't do it they have a bit of a disdain sometimes for reporters because they're always Mm -hmm. getting mic shoved in their face and stuff and i understand that but how do you prepare for that
2: I had two different stints where I was one of those guys in the locker room shutting a microphone in an athlete's face every single night. One, when I was an Orlando Magic employee, and then again, many years later, when I came back to Orlando and covered them as a broadcaster, I was one of those guys. Um, The first answer I would give, and I say this to people who are interested in careers in broadcasting, is always say yes when they ask you, will you go talk to Michael Jordan and get him a soundbite on this piece we're working on? You say, yes. Then you go figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to put yourself in the room, you know, and and give yourself a chance to do it before anything. That's the most important thing. Uh, Other than that, I mean, it it is tough when when you're in a situation where you know that they really don't necessarily want to be talking to you. And you're asking a question that's probably been asked a hundred times before and you're trying to figure out a way to ask it differently. I, try to leave the questions open-ended and i try in interviews my go-to is what did you do well today because i want the player talking about themselves in a positive light and thinking positively of this exchange we're having you know if you study interpersonal communication uh, people that are asked about themselves when they get a chance to talk about themselves a lot Mm -hmm. they remember you as being a great conversationalist it, because it's a positive association they have with talking to you, And in fact they were talking about themselves the whole time. Right. So that's kind of what I try to get the athlete or the interview subject doing is is you know you tell me what's good rather than me saying, "Wow, you guys, you know, you ran for 250 yards today. Uh, how how that happened? Say, well, tell me, you know, why was the offense so good today? What, what was it about the, the running game that was just so excellent? How can you put a can you put a finger on what what changed? You know, what and kind of get them talking." And then maybe it's a little less awkward, but, um, yeah, you kind of have to just fight through it, you know? And, and I think most athletes today know that yeah. you've got a job to do. They have an obligation to do it. It's just going to be a couple of minutes. You know, we're not asking you to come sit down and give me your life story. If if I'm in the in the mic, in the locker room with a mic, all I need is 30 seconds. I mean, you, you know what it's like to edit yep. audio, you know, you don't want any more than a minute anyway. Right. So I think most people today understand their roles <laughs> in this exchange that we do at every game, every single night. So,
0: I've got a professional question for you, Witt. Maybe Please. this is a little sidebar here. And I'm going to give you an example. One question that a lot of people ask, uh, especially maybe guys and artists seasoned, and I'm going to put that nicely seasoned as you and I are. Mm-hmm. But when they shove a microphone in somebody's face and say, How does this make you feel? How did the, wind? did they make you feel? I think hmm. like, man, you, you're blowing an opportunity. And like you said, that's a question that they've heard a million times. And it's really not a very good question to me. I want no. to get your take on it.
2: I, um, so I did a version of that because I hate that question. The how does it feel is a terrible question. Yeah. The only thing worse than that is not asking the question is, True. is issuing a statement, you know, um, Bubba, you made eight birdies today. That's the most you've made in the last two years and then hand the mic over. That's not a question. Ask a question. Yeah. And I, I use Bubba as an example because I was thinking the second time he won the Masters, um, I asked him a question because he, for the first time he won the Masters, he had talked about dreaming of this moment and how in, he, he had always dreamed of winning a major championship and specifically the Masters. So when he won it the second time, two years later, I came back to him and said, two years ago, you know, you said that you, you had dreamed about this moment forever. Did you ever dream about doing it twice? And, which I thought was a pretty good question yeah. and it kind of got him going and he's very emotional anyway. And so he kind of, you know, um, but yeah, the, the, how does it feel question should be Man. banned outright. <laughs> it should not be allowed to be asked, you know, it's yeah. be specific and, um, and, and be interesting. Try, find something that, that maybe, somebody else wouldn't think to ask or something. And if you have an angle that, you know, that the public doesn't know, Hey, you changed coaches. Did that have something to do with this? You're, you're playing a different driver this week. You're playing a different ball. Uh, You know, you've got a new physio guy. I mean, something that indicates, Hey, I've done a little homework and people may not know this could be a thing that's affecting you or helping you. Um, You know, that's the kind of homework that those reporters, those sideline reporters or whatever finish line interviewers need to do before they ask the question
0: and i'd really like to thank Whit watson he's got his own website WitWatson.com. you can see all kinds of things about him there and you can contact him if you've got a potential uh, gig for him there you can send him an email so Wit, thank you
2: thank you been a no, pleasure
0: no problem we're gonna get out of here we'll be back next week like i said uh go out there remember be kind to somebody. Rolling at
1: the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.